everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor Amos Grunendijk. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. How many of you have been to the Avengers movie more than once? Are you trying to push them past Avatar? Did you hear that's all in the news? They've re-released it with some new footage so that, you know, the superhero movies can make even more money. Uh, But I I want you to think a little bit for a second about your favorite superheroes. Anybody here into superheroes? Many people. Uh, Who's your favorite superhero? Let's hear it. Storm. Storm. Batman. Batman. Captain America, Black Panther, the Punisher. I don't know who that is. Is that before my time? Sounds like a WWF, WWE wrestler. PG, rated PG. That's good. Why not? Any other heroes out there? Martin Schmidt. Martin Schmidt. I don't know that one either. Tyler is a big superhero guy, the guy at the sound booth, our director of youth and media, is fresh back from Mexico with the teens. You rolled in at 2 a.m. last night, probably, 1 a.m.? 3 a.m., slept at the church. Favorite superhero? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. How about that? So we all have like a sense of the, the heroes in the stories that are told today. It's a, tr- it's a trillion-dollar industry superheroes are. The interesting thing, though, is that when you look at the heroes that are on the TV screen, right, they're strong, and they, they do heroic deeds, and they're, you know, they make mistakes, but they always come out in the end as, like, taking the moral high ground, right? It's the villains. They're the ones who, who are always doing the, the wrong and evil and slimy things. The crazy thing is, in the Bible, most of the heroes actually do as many slimy things as heroic things. We've seen this as we've looked at uh, the stories from the, the kind of middle to middle end of Genesis with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, and today we'll be speaking about Leah. But these stories have endured across thousands of years because I think they are like the best stories, uh, windows into our soul windows into our humanity, they, they've endured because they, they actually reflect who we are on the inside, but they also shape our identity. Uh, they, they, like any story, give us a place to stand in our understanding of who we are, who God is, and how we relate to each other. So there's a family tree here of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Leah. And as we talk about Leah again today, we have to face uh, a kind of uncomfortable or unfortunate fact that women are underrepresented in the Bible. Uh, I said this when we talked about Sarah, but it's not that women necessarily had more influence. It's just that they didn't have the, the positions of power, right? So like men like to take the credit for things. That doesn't mean that women weren't engaged. And especially what we find in the biblical stories is that women are equally gifted, equal in value, Uh, equally spirit-filled, in other words, like God would inhabit women in the Bible just as he would inhabit men, and they're equally called. What do I mean by equally called? Everything that men do in the Bible, 
you find women doing as well. There are examples of women leading. There are examples of women commanding armies. Women teach. They apostle, whatever that means. They deacon, which means, you know, they, they hold these positions of leadership in the church and distributing, uh, you know, money to take care of the poor. That's what, that's what the deacons did in the New Testament. They, they're queens. They're, they're in Jesus' inner circle. Everything that men do in the Bible, women do as well. And so even though they're underrepresented, they are valued and they're worth uh, celebrating. And I mean, we would say that, of course, about women today, even though the church has a somewhat tainted history, I would say, in their treatment of women. So that's just one of the realities that we're needing to maybe give voice to. Leah, in particular, looking at her as one of our heroes, is, uh, is unique. Because Leah, in the story, as you'll see, is unwanted. She is tr- unwanted by her father, Laban, who's trying to get rid of her. Laban sees her as a liability. Culturally speaking, she's another mouth to feed. Uh, she's unwanted by her husband, Jacob, as you'll see. But the reality is, is that she is wanted by the person who matters most, and that is that she is wanted by God. She is loved by God. So Leah is unwanted by everyone, the girl that nobody wanted, but she is loved by God. And I'm, I'm going to actually invite now Leslie up to read from the few, it's, it's several verses in Genesis, but to read the story too. It's a little bit longer, and I feel like if we have somebody who has a different voice, she can help you guys engage with it. So if it helps you to close your eyes and listen to the story or, or just you know, lock into Leslie's voice, uh, go for it. Awesome. As soon as Laban heard... Is this on? Yes. Okay, awesome. Yes. As soon as Laban heard that his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraced and kissed him and brought him home. When Jacob had told him his story, Laban exclaimed, you really are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed stayed with Laban for about a month, Laban said to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because we are relatives. Tell me, how much should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The older one was named Leah, and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told Laban, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban said. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked for seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob. And he slept with her. Laban had given Leah a servant, Zilpah, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn, Laban replied. But wait until the bridal week is over, then we'll give you Rachel too, provided that you promise to work another seven years for me. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel too. Laban gave Rachel a servant, Bilhah, to be her maid. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, 
and he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, the Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. She soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon, for she said, the Lord, the Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. Then she became pregnant a third time and gave birth to another son. He was named Levi, for she said, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I've given him three sons. Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah, for she said, now I will praise the Lord. And then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister. She pleaded with Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Then Jacob became furious with Rachel. Thank you, Leslie. Yeah. This is a story full of pain, actually. Did you notice that? I feel like as I was told the story when I was a kid and, uh, you know, in Sunday school or kids' church or, you know, wherever, I didn't realize how much pain was in this story. So Leah, who is unwanted, of course, uh, arrives at her wedding day and her new husband says, I didn't want you. And this is another thing that I feel like... I remember like uh, Jacob working for seven years and getting Leah. And then I remember like he worked another seven years and got Rachel. That's how I remember the story. But in reality, the deal is, right? Laban says, you need to stick with Leah for this week of your wedding and then you can have Rachel. So a week after you're married, suddenly your younger sister becomes the object uh, of your husband's attention and the, the person in your husband's bed. But it's not just Leah who's experiencing pain in here, in this story. Rachel is nothing but jealous because Rachel has what Leah doesn't have, that's beauty. And Leah has what Rachel wants, and that's the ability to bear children, right? Like the achievement or the, 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 a lot of the value, right, in a wife in that time was their ability to bear children. And Rachel for years, didn't have that ability. And you might think, well, Jacob, at least he came out okay, right? He got the girl. In fact, he got multiple women out of the deal, but he's not happy either, right? Like at the end, he's, he's angry, like he's furious. And so there's, there's just a lot of pain in this story. And I think it's pain that most of us can relate to. And we'll get into that. But one of the things that we we need to say before we go any further is that everything that is recorded in the Bible is not recommended by the Bible, okay? So there's, there's actually multiple things here that, that's wor- that are worth saying. So uh, maybe the first is that Jacob marries multiple women, right? That's recorded in the Bible. That is not what the Bible recommends. Uh, now, you'll actually find it very difficult in the Bible anywhere that it says, you know, you should only marry one person. But every time that people marry multiple wives or husbands or whatever, like it actually always turns out bad. So that's in the story. And, it, and I actually, <laughs> right, like it, it, it always causes strife. So 
like, yeah, there's something to be said, like being married is hard and being single is hard and dating is hard, but like you, you want strife in your life, like connect yourself to multiple like partners, sexually, romantically, whatever. And that's not even a judgment statement. I, I actually know somebody who had multiple wives. Uh, I spent a semester in Israel and I made a friend in the Arab quarter and he had multiple wives because he was fulfilling his brotherly duty. Uh, he was married and his brother died. And so he took his brother's wife into his home because that's like the way that that culture, at least that particular set of people and expressing, expressing that culture would take care of a sibling's wife. And I'm, I'm like 24-ish at the time. So I'm like, I've got a lot of testosterone going on. And I think, wow, that's amazing, right? Multiple wives. Doesn't get better than that. And he says, oh no. You don't understand. Like, there is never peace in my home. I can't do anything uh, for, for my first wife without my second wife being jealous. I can't do anything for my second wife. Like, there's just, there's constant fighting, there's constant strife, there's constant bickering. Like, it's, it's, it's like there's poison in the, uh, the polygamy, so to speak. Uh, so, like, you can't, you don't always find proof texts for things. The Bible doesn't recommend everything it records. I mean, and, and then there's, of course, this idea of, like, buying and selling or, or giving, giving to... Um, giving to the dad in order to kind of like purchase the, the wife. So just because the Bible records that, of course, that doesn't mean that the Bible recommends it. That's not, I don't think, God's will for us. Like women don't have like a, a financial a tag attached to them, of course, okay? So now that we've got that out of the way, let's, let's look a little bit more at the story. And one of the things I think that we should say is that when we love someone or something, that person is worth sacrificing for, of course. And in this case, it's Jacob who looks at Rachel, and because she is beautiful, he's head over heels, he offers Laban, his uncle, a deal. He says, I will work for seven years. It's interesting that Laban doesn't say yes, agreed. He says something a little bit more slippery than that. He says, it would be great for you to marry Rachel, wouldn't it? Right? And so... That does end up happening. Laban, you know, stays true to the fine print, but it ends up costing Jacob 14 total years. But even the seven years of service tells us something about how much Jacob is willing to give up for Rachel. So you can do like a shekel analysis. That was like the monetary unit of the day. And it turns out that like it was around two years of service to pay for uh, a, a, like a bride price for a for a wife uh, back then. So Jacob is, is so smitten that he's saying, I'm, not, I'm, I'm willing to pay more than double for this girl. And he ends up paying more than quadruple, right? For the right to marry her. So, so there is something actually right about that desire because the people we love, uh, we're willing to sacrifice for. And Jacob is willing to give up seven years and ultimately 14 years of his life so that he can be with somebody. But of course, the person left out of this uh, love or out of this desire is Leah. And there's, there's like a story within a story here with Leah. I don't know if you noticed as she was having children, the, the way that she names them and what she says actually has a progression to it and, and speaks to us about the deepest longings of each of our hearts, right? As I said, 
These stories, or any great story, endure because they are windows into our soul, into our own humanity, and they shape our identity. So, with Leah, first she gives birth to Reuben, right? And she says, because the Lord has noticed my misery and now my husband, so that now my husband will love me, hopefully. Then she gives birth to Simeon, because she says, the Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son, right? Again, she's hoping that she will receive Jacob's love because of the children that she's giving him. Then she became pregnant a third time and gives birth to Levi. For she said, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I have given him three sons, right? Still hoping that Jacob will now connect or be attached to her. And finally, uh, something shifts with the fourth son that she names Judah. For she said, now I will praise the Lord. And it's worth saying just uh, for the moment, like praise is that acknowledgement of beauty, right? It's, it's an honoring, uh, it's a celebration of what is beautiful. And at the end, instead of saying, maybe Jacob will appreciate my beauty, she's actually turning to God and saying, God, you are beautiful, right? So there's, that's where this is headed. But I think there's, <clears throat> there's something to notice even in the flow of this. And that is that her desires actually intensify as we go from son to son, which is unexpected because a lot of times if you uh, are in love and the person rejects you, or, or over, over years in particular, like when you've been hurt, one of the easy places to go is towards cynicism, right? But, but her desires actually intensify. She starts by saying, I hope my husband will notice me, then I hope my husband will hear me, uh, which is kind of like being known, right? And then I hope my, my husband will actually like attach to me. So let's start with that first one. This is, this is one of those things that we all hope for, that we all want. We want to be noticed, right? And this starts at a very young age. I have a friend in Iowa. He's actually like the grandpa of a, like a little boy who's like three maybe. And he says, I can watch my grandson. And he, and he says, he'll be playing. And you can count to five. He'll play for five seconds. And then he'll look. And he'll check and see if his dad is watching him. Has dad noticed me? Okay, yes, dad is watching. Play for five seconds. Is dad watching me? Two, three, four, five. Is dad watching me? Two, three, four, five. I don't know if any of you have experienced this. My little girl isn't to that spot yet. She's just three months old. But like toddlers want to be noticed. And that's one of the reasons why... um, like these can be so destructive because what message do you send your toddler when, to- when toddler looks at you and sees, oh, I'm not being noticed. Dad or mom's attention is somewhere else. Grandma or grandpa's attention is somewhere else. Of course, this doesn't change, right? Um, I've done some marriage counseling and, and I always make people make a list of the things that they're annoyed with by their spouse. And you know what always shows up on the list? I'm trying to connect with him, I'm trying to connect with her, but she's on her phone. He's on her phone. I, I'm not being noticed, right? The attention is somewhere else. I, this doesn't stop uh, after you get married, right? Like, this is something that I struggle with, too. Um, but it causes a constant, uh, you know, it's a problem. Like, it, it causes problems. Um, and, and even if, you, I would say, even if you've been married for years, or maybe you're, you're single and approaching you know, midlife or, or older life, like we, we still want to be noticed. Like if you're Gen X, I think you're, you're hoping that somebody notices you. Maybe it's your boss, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your family, 
a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, like you're still just hoping that you will be noticed. Uh, this, this is maybe most acute, right, for the teens. Like teens, if they're not noticed, they will escalate and do more and more and more uh, to the point of self-harm to be noticed. Will you pay attention to me? That's what they're saying. Have you noticed me? This is a fundamental human desire. It's a fundamental human need. It's not a bad one. It's a good one. But what we find here is that because Leah is hoping that Jacob will give something to her that is so fundamental, she's ultimately frustrated. And with Jacob, it's both ways. It's that he, it's that he won't, but the reality is he can't either. Like, you're hoping to be noticed by someone at a fundamental level that no single person can meet. Like, no person can actually notice you the way that you need to be noticed. And that's actually where this story is headed, right? At the end, Leah notices or realizes, comes to the, the conclusion that oh, it's only God actually who can notice me in the way that I need to be noticed. And there is, there's kind of like a rule, at least this has been my, true to my experience, the more you need to be noticed, it's like the less you are noticed and the more frustrated you get, right? Like it, the more you feel the need to be noticed, the more insecure you become and the more actually kind of like, I don't know what the word is, like you push people away, distance. People, people will create distance rather than draw towards you, Okay. Uh, so, so we want to be noticed, we need to be noticed, and it doesn't change. It doesn't matter if you're old, young, you know, black, white, gay, straight, everybody wants to be noticed. This next one is, you know, a step up in intensity. And I, I want you to know that, like, this isn't like next week she realizes, if Jacob would hear me, you know, she, she's saying, like, God heard me, but there's something in the name and there's something in the explanation that it's, it's actually pointing to a fundamental need to, I want to be heard, right? Uh, and this, this is at least a year later, right? It takes, it, it takes nine months to cook uh, a baby before you can have another one, right? Like, so this is, this is not an overnight experience. And it's just, it's just worth noting that while Jacob wrestles with God for a night, this is a, at least a four to five year process or journey for Leah. This is not a, and today I decided that God would be the center of my life. No, this is a five-year journey. This is five years of unrequited love, of feeling unloved, of wrestling with God, of, of fighting with God over like, I am lonely, I am alone, I am looking for something that Jacob won't give me, right? That my husband won't give me, that my friends won't give me. I, I think that's, I mean, that's just, that hits me as significant because I imagine that some of you are in a two or three year period of your life where you just wish that you were dating someone and you're not, or you just wish that your husband would treat you differently, or your wife would treat you differently, or your dad would treat you differently, and you're, you're still trying to sort out like how all this works, and your, your desires are, are not being met. So anyway, our need to be noticed, our need to be heard. This is, uh, this is a difficult one, and I feel like every couple of months, every six months or so, I need to just put this up on the screen. When people are sharing, right, don't try to explain it. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to diminish it through premature encouragement. Don't steal the spotlight by sharing your own experiences. Instead, communicate love through empathetic listening. 
This is like very easy to understand and I don't do it right very often either. <laughs> like especially in the context of my family. Uh, we all want to be heard and when I jump to fixing your problems, you are not feeling heard. And the point in growing to be better listeners is actually the point in growing to better express love to people we care about. I always think the loving thing to do is to fix the problem. It turns out that's not true. The loving thing to do is to communicate to a person that I hear them by saying, yeah, I'm hearing the feelings. I'm hearing you're overwhelmed. I'm hearing you're sad. Not, oh, I know how to fix that. That actually makes the person feel less loved. And this, this is another one of those things that crosses you know, generations. It's not like a, it's like I learned this from somebody with a double PhD in psychology, but it's not like a psychological theory that's in fad, right? Like this has been, this is generations old, thousands of years old because it's about relationship, right? It's about understanding how to relate to each other and the need to listen and understand, not the need to fix, the need to be heard. And the only way that you're heard is if you have people in your life that are willing to listen. And the only way the people in your life can be heard is if, if you're willing to listen and not, not do the things that are, are listed there. Okay, so I need to be noticed. I need to be heard. This last, or not the last one, this third one, it, it actually becomes more intense. He names, she names him Levi, for she said, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me. This, this word actually means attachment or connection, right? This idea of being joined to someone. They, they claim me, I am theirs. And uh, my wife and I actually went to a movie this past week. Uh, we had somebody come and watch Isla because you can't really take a baby to a movie. I don't know if you noticed that. But we went to Toy Story 4. And we did this because uh, we realized that we need to connect a little bit every day, actually. Just like you need to eat at least a little bit every day, we need to connect every, a little bit every day. Like a date night doesn't do it for us. In fact, the date night doesn't do much for us. We need instead of like one three-hour chunk, we need like 30 minutes every day, okay? And that's really gotten more difficult with a kid. Uh, and, it, and it doesn't count if we just watch Netflix for some reason. That like doesn't work. Uh, but it can be a variety of things, you know? Like maybe if we make popcorn and then watch Netflix, that counts a little bit more. We have like a whirly pop, not like a, a microwave popcorn thing. But like if we go to a movie, it, there's like the drive to the movie, there's talking after the movie, there's grabbing food after the movie. Like there's, there's something that we do or we're trying to do every day to connect. Um, and it, it's kind of like trying to figure out what we're having for dinner. Like there's a conversation about what are we gonna do today? Are we gonna walk? No, it's too hot. Well, then what are we gonna do? Uh, we can't just sit on our phones in the same room, right? That doesn't count. We're not connecting over that. But there's an interesting thing in the movie, right? The, all the Toy Story movies say something about connection. I actually have to go off on just another tangent for a second. So I saw this movie in 4D. Anybody seen a movie in 4D? I can't recommend it. I love 3D movies. I thought maybe 4D would be even cooler. So if you've ever been to Disneyland, there are these uh, rides where you sit and there's a big screen, but then like, you know, the, the seats move. That's what it means to be in 4D. 
Uh, so every four seats is attached to this little like arm. And the opening scene is like super intense. So you're like, whoa, oh. And they're trying to like form this false sense of connection to the movie. Okay, that's how it ties in. Uh, in fact, they're trying to connect you to the movie so deeply that when it rains, there's like, you you're get wet. It's crazy. It's, but don't do it. It's like 25 bucks a ticket. <laughs> the, beside the point. There were no just 3D showings like at all during the day. They make you go to the 4D. They're sneaky. Anyway, they're trying to connect you to the movie, but the movie's actually about connection at a deeper level, right? Because Andy's toys, or in Toy Story 4, you know it's a little girl named Bonnie, is owned by Andy, right? Woody, Buzz, the whole crew, they are attached to Andy, and you know it because Andy puts his name on their foot. And it happens in Toy Story 1, it happens in Toy Story 2, it happens in all the Toy Stories. There's a connection there. You are... You belong to Andy. And in Toy Story 4 in particular, this sense of belonging, it, it, it reveals or it shows like your sense of belonging is tied very, connect, very tightly to your sense of purpose. To know why you're here, to know what you're going to do is connected to who you belong to at the deepest and most fundamental level. And this is actually what Leah understands after having three kids, you know, four-ish years later when she has Judah and says, now I've realized that Jacob can't be the center of my world. At the most fundamental level, Jacob can't be the one I belong to. God is the one I belong to. I'm acknowledging that he is beautiful. And that brings order to the rest of her life. And that's, that's what I want you to hear today. Like if you want order in your life, if you want you to have healthy relationships, your fundamental relationship can't be your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your mom or your dad. Your fundamental relationship has to be Jesus. And I had a family, uh, I actually had a lunch with a guy, a couple of guys this week and I had him share about his family. And it was amazing what he said. I, I, it brings me to tears actually, he said, you know, since coming to the vineyard, I've noticed that my family is laughing more. Like, and I, I, I'm not saying that it's because the vineyard is so great, but, but I know kind of how this works. Like, I know how this works in people. Like, as they're, as they're drawing closer to God, and we happen to be kind of the community, I think, where that, that's, that's becoming... You know, they're just, they're, they're, they're continuing on their journey and they're doing it with us, right? As they, as they continue to put God at the center and move toward him, like there's, there's freedom and there's grace. And it's no longer about this has to be done just right or you have to behave a certain way. There's like, you know what? With God at my center, I don't have to, to squeeze so tightly or control so intensely, uh, everything that happens because I know that at the center I have someone who stands secure, who is perfectly beautiful and notices me, can see me in the way I need to be seen, who hears me, who knows me in the way that I need to be known, who is connected to me, who loves me. Who, the, I belong to him. He's put his name, you know, like on the bottom of my foot. He's, he's willing to say, that's one of my kids and I love him and I love her. And that's what he does for Leah. 
You are mine. You are unwanted by your father. You are unwanted by your husband, but I want you. In fact, I have chosen you to do something that is beyond value. I'm, I'm giving you children, and not just any children. One of those children you noticed, his name was Judah. Judah is a significant name in the Bible because from Judah comes the line of kings. David, Solomon, all the kings of Judah. And from the kings of Judah comes the king. Jesus, right? From, from the stump of Jesse, who's in the line of Judah, comes Jesus, right? Out of the death of a dead kingly line comes life, the one true king. And while Jacob was willing to give up 14 years of his life to be with Rachel, Jesus was willing to give up his very life to be with Leah and Rachel and you and me. That's what this story is about. This story is pointing us to our most fundamental needs and to the person, the one person, the God incarnate, God with flesh who can meet those needs. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. You are beautiful. Your love is beautiful. Many of us are trying to work out uh, our identity and who we belong to and what is at the center of our existence. And I just ask that you would overwhelm us now with your love and with your presence. If we've come in empty today, fill us up. If we've come in today and we've lost our way, if we've lost our center, turn us. Help us to turn. Help us to experience your love and your grace and the freedom that comes from like, putting you there. And thank you for noticing us and for hearing us and for owning us, like for, for saying that we belong to you, God. So now, uh, even as we transition, I pray that we would be able to spend this time in worship, just basking in your beauty, right? Praising you, acknowledging you for the amazing God that you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.